This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. This is Paul Hawksby. And Andy Jacobs. And this is the H&J Daily, some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. Um, well, we had our regular chats, didn't we, Andy? You gave us some amazing sporting facts as well, didn't you? <laughs> we did too, yeah, that, no yeah. question. And uh, Striker, that was pretty good fun. Uh, with right. uh, Dance doing a great job. Uh, we had our road trip. Uh, we reached Nice in the Euro uh, 2016 Championships. Martin Kellner, of course, with his week of sport on TV. Mm. And uh, Sporting Memories, that was fun this week too yeah sporting memories we look back on uh, Italy versus Brazil at the 82 World Club Motti and Tim Vickering stick around at the end because we'll have a little bonus feature uh, with Tim so here it all is good afternoon everyone good afternoon Andy yes good afternoon Paul and uh, yeah no no and they're a bit of fun aren't they these things that go around people pictures of themselves when they were 20. The one I saw last week, people were saying, which five people have you met? Uh, but only one of them is you haven't met. You know, cares, honestly. I've got no time for it. I can't be bothered with it myself. <laughs> I, I find but that I, hard I, to believe, Andy. You're normally so <laughs> open to these kind of things, generally. <laughs> but I found the worst one. That's why I'm interested, because I found the worst one today. Yeah. Bond Beauty Halle Berry is set to uh, lie another way. I'll get what they did there. Yeah. With a pillow strapped to her gorgeous front. Okay. She took part in a web sensation of tying, a, of wearing a cushion tied with a belt and little else. What's the point of that? I can't see absolutely point. Where's the cushion tied? You, you get you get a cushion, right? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Got nothing on. You're in the, you're in your birthday suit. Yeah, na- you get naked. the cushion. Oh yeah, naked. You yeah. get the cushion. You tie the cushion around with a belt, and you try and make it look like a nice dress. Okay. And if you shoot it from a certain point of view, it looks like a dress rather than a cushion. Okay, what sounds, sounds like a winner. Will you do one of those for us, Andy? Possibly. I will, actually. What, a horrendous, what an horrendous thought. I hope you've got massive cushions at home. I would, the bigger the cushion, the better, I'd say. A beanbag, ideally, we'll be looking for when you do it. That's, uh, you could yeah. be right. I'll, I'll have a go in the break. Uh, now, North Korea. You can't take all your clothes off and wrap yourself no, in I'll cushions. Just take, during, I'll take my the top breaks off. aren't very long at the moment. I'll just take my top off. I won't oh, take okay, fair no, no one can see. It's radio. North Korea. Is sell- North Korea are selling smartphones and tablets under the name Samhung, which is quite good, isn't it? Yeah, that's, but though, bit, that's pushing it a bit. I know. I prefer, though, the Kim Jong-il phone 6. Thank you. Oh, I, oh the, the eel phone, the eel, eel phone. phone six. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Exactly. Okay. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with I've you. noticed listening, listening to the podcast yesterday. I mean, I always get nothing from you when I do my opening gags, but it's even worse in this situation because it's such a long gap before your non-reaction is really discouraging. But I shall which, keep going. Which, which, will keep them coming. Yeah, keep them coming. Yeah, keep um, them coming. There is a oh, lack yeah. of Andy. There's a lack of uh, PPE on the on the Gaza Strip, understandably, where they just had to move. Cases in Palestine, and did you see the pictures? What they've been using lettuce leaves basically, lettuce leaves over the face, having to use them as uh, as face masks. And I think, to be honest, the way things are going. In this country, we'll all be going out and buying more lettuce, to be honest, because we certainly haven't There'll got be any masks, have we? There'll yeah. be a lettuce shortage. There will be a lettuce 
uh, lettuce shortage. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> That's quite a hard thing to say. Yeah. And uh, did you see the story in The Sun this morning? This is honestly, talk about fake news. Mm. This is the story of the Yorkshire Terrier who uh, a dog owner gives, a dog gives his owner a comedy grin after stealing his fake teeth. Ben Campbell bought the oversized gnashers for a laugh in lockdown. But his Yorkshire Terrier, Thomas, nabbed them before somehow shoving them in his trap. Yeah. He so didn't no. somehow. The bloke did it. The owner did it. He put them in there. They're perfectly positioned. This is definitely one for Dominic Littlewood. I've said it to him. It's fake. I haven't got a comedy dog, I've realised, because uh, she, if, just for a laugh now and again, now you could say it's cruel, but it's just a bit of a laugh. Something You might have a, think, wonder what the dog will look like in a pair of glasses. So I might attempt yeah. to put them on. She'll shake them off in about 30 seconds. No chance okay. of getting... I'm she's never going to do a calendar wearing silly hats and glasses. And she's yeah. got this thing. It's like a chew toy. And uh, if you put it in her mouth, it, it gives you a big wide grin. It's a sort of squeaky toy, and it gives them a great big... She won't even yeah. put that in her mouth for a picture. So <laughs> oh, I'd have no... Too savvy. No chance with a pair of real forced teeth. They'd, they'd be spat right out. So, yeah, I haven't got but a she, comedy she, dog, I'm afraid. She's a dog like her master, you see. She, she only likes fine, true comedy. Something as simple as a, a fake mouth. That's oh, not really doesn't like, doesn't like pratfalls or anything. Like she's not like her mum, then, certainly. Exactly. Uh, really. <laughs> Did you see the call in the sun for the great Captain Tom Moore? He's wonderful, isn't he? And uh, he's been, there's calls for him to be knighted, which yeah. would be very interesting. But I'd love to see David Beckham's face if that happened. He'd be going, 15 million? I've raised more than 15 bleep bleep million. <laughs> I don't think he would. I think he'd be quite stoic no, about it. He'd probably have shepherd's pie, mashed gravy, peas and coleslaw. <laughs> and just and suck it up. Um, I'm just thinking this morning, after seeing a story in the papers, Andy, for a bloke who had to pull his own tooth out. He had a really bad oh, yeah, I saw that. Driving yeah. him mad. So it was, the, it was the old kind of cartoon, Laurel and Hardy, bit of string to the door, <laughs> or what the equivalent of. And this is not a time, to touch wood, is it, to get a bad tooth or an abscess or something? No. I mean, are there emergency dentists still working? There must be. I mean, it's difficult. There are. It's risky. There are. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you that. There are. And there are. I, I, I know an optician, and there are emergency opticians working. I mean, obviously, people still have problems with their teeth, with their eyes, with all sorts. I mean, you saw this thing yesterday where people, they, they were saying people are, are avoiding the A&E departments, even if they've got something seriously wrong with them, which I... I sort of, I can't believe people would do that. I mean, if you were having a heart attack, I think you'd, you'd, you'd go, you know, you'd say, well, I'm, I'm having a yeah. heart attack. I'm I mean, ideally, go. you're going to do everything you know. to put that off, though, aren't you, really? You don't want to put, yeah, yourself, I suppose you would, you don't yeah. put yourself in that situation. I was hearing the other day, people are still going to kind of routine appointments for other medical issues. And, you know, not, not a lot, but people are still doing it. You are well, I suppose put, so, yeah. Unless you have to go, you are putting yourself... At risk, but they are, you, of course. They are 25% down in attendance, the A&Es, which is obvious, really, because yeah. there's less cars on the roads, nobody's in pubs, getting hammered and having a fight and all the, all the things that you'd normally get, for example, on a Friday night. So from that point of view, it, it's good. Um, there was a lovely, I'm going yeah. to salute the Sun headline writers today. Gary Anderson wanted to play in tonight's PDC Home Tour Darts, this tournament that the PDC have kicked off. But he's unable to because he, where he lives has very poor Wi-Fi. And they can't get the images of oh, Gary, yeah, yeah. Gary playing. But well done to the Sun uh, headline writers who went, because of this story, went with uh, Ruta All Evil. I thought that was very good. Oh, that, very that's good. good. That's Absolutely. very good. Yeah, yeah. Now, a lot of people who like the Archers, which includes me, if you must know, and okay. uh, it's one of my guilty pleasures, have noted quite strongly that yeah. uh, because the show's recorded months in advance, but they record it as if it's the real time. So, for example, Easter is still Easter in, a in Ambridge, even yeah. though they recorded it back in November. Mm. So people have noticed this, that, that, that there's absolutely no virus, there's no lockdown in Ambridge or anything like that. And, it's, and it appeared in The Guardian this morning. This was a, Vic Marks was doing a, a piece on that he imagined the first day of the county season. And yeah. he wrote the report as if it had happened. It was good. And it says here, this cricket roundup has been stolen from the Ambridge Observer, which reports on a coronavirus-free world. So it's even made The Guardian. Wow, what about I suppose that? It, in the old days, I think it's in the old days, they definitely would have got an actor in to sort of say, oh, old John's in lockdown, isn't he? And with Walter Gabriel. So they, would have, they would have sort of <laughs> dropped in something that are made you, it sound like... Are you wishing we could come and get me? But are you auditioning? It's a bit more like the Bowmans, the old Tony Hancock show. <laughs> Mine is, yeah. Uh, anyway, we should crack on. Yeah. We're going to play you the 1982 BBC World Cup theme.
The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. There's a bit of life imitating art here because uh, it's really a tiny piece this morning and th- I just wonder if this person is related to a police person, policeman in Steve Bruce's striker that we're about to hear. Uh, yeah. PC Simon Widdison. <laughs> oh, name. really? Yeah. And Natalie Wilkins uh, rescued a swan from the A52 in Beeston in Knotts. So there you go. What a coincidence. PC yeah. Widdison. Well, that was so written he, quite a few years ago, so it might be his well, son. You know, might be. <laughs> That's true. Might be the be. copper in Steve's story. You'd, yeah, you'd imagine that Steve used people from real life that he knew. I mean, you wouldn't be surprised if he knew a, a Constable Widdison, for example, or Inspector Widdison. If possible. you're looking to come up with names of people for specific things, I mean, they, they, the story hmm. is that in EastEnders, so they wanted specific uh, names of, uh, of kind of people from that area. What they often do is they have a wander around the graveyard and look at oh, those really? names. If you go into a graveyard in the area and have a little wander around, you'll see a lot of re- recurring names and stuff. And that's apparently how the uh, the creators of EastEnders came up with a lot of the authentic really? East End names. So, yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting because I've got a graveyard right opposite where I live and we've been walking there after the show. Yeah. Because it's the quietest part of the, of the area, the, the, the riverside. You can't, it's just joggers and walkers. You just, it's hopeless. But that's quite good. So I'll, I'll collect a few names for you, if you like, from people okay. from, from ancient <laughs> okay, times. fantastic. You can write your own Ho- Chiswick-based soap opera, Andy. <laughs> I don't want they go, it'd be called polenta or something. I don't know what they're going to call it to work out your equivalent of the duff duff. Anyway, um, oh yeah, yes. Yeah, so let's, let's talk then about. Uh, well, let's hear from Steve Bruce's excellent okay. uh, murder mystery novel, uh, Striker. This is a book he wrote back in 1999. He was still a player, wasn't he? Um, uh, Lettersford Town are the team. Steve Barnes was the manager. And um, Steve wrote three books. This is Stryker, one of the three fantastic books he wrote. Um, and Ian, Ian Dantry's bringing it to life for if us. If we get to book three at the end of the book, that's it. I'm done. I think, yeah, I, I think we're going to struggle. Let's give you a flavour of what's happened so far. Basically, there's been a murder. The police might be reassuring and polite, and Sir Lawrence might earlier have loudly protested my innocence, but the fact remained that I'd been with Duffy earlier in the morning and I'd been caught with a knife in my hand. I could imagine the pleasure that Eddie Carberry would get from this version of events. You're not being as helpful as I expected, Steve, Shannon said. What the hell do you mean? I exploded. I'm talking to you now, aren't I? Am I under arrest? Not yet, Sergeant Widdison said, and there was menace in his voice. You seem to be holding something back, Widdison said. He said, my son's just caught a swan on the A52. Yeah, well, I'd like to think he could work that in. It would be difficult. So basically, we left Steve yesterday with the police playing bad cop, bad cop, which is not what you want, is it, really? They're both giving him clog, and uh, he's under a bit of pressure, probably more pressure than he is trying to get a goal out of Joel Linton. So um, let's bring you the latest instalment now. You seem to be holding something back, Widdison said, his voice suddenly harsh. I guess that these two were accustomed to playing the old interrogation game, which isn't the one that Bruce Forsyth used to do. You know, hard man, soft man. Widdison was the tough guy, the sergeant with something to prove. I can't tell you what I don't know, I said. Remember, I am fairly new to the club myself. Your assistant, Shannon began. Eddie Carberry, did he come from Threshfield with you? He's been here some time, Widdison explained. Widdison clearly read the sports pages first. Well, don't be all. No, he was here when I arrived, I said. Did you see him this morning? Not till after the killing, I said. We usually meet up at the training ground. But you did see Pat Duffy, Shannon said. You saw Duffy earlier this morning. Yes, I arrived at the stadium early this morning. I always do. I plan to get some office work done before going to the training ground with the squad. Was Duffy a member of this squad? Shannon asked. Suddenly, I realised that he had asked me these questions earlier. He was deliberately backtracking to check if I was given the same answers. Shannon was a smart guy. I appreciated why he had risen to be Chief Inspector of Detectives. I played their game. I gave the same answers more than once. There was no problem. I was telling the truth. All I needed was to tell it like it was. The whole interview lasted two hours. 
seemed longer. Where are you going to be the rest of the week? Shannon asked. Here at the stadium or up on the training ground. Do you have a midweek match? Widdison asked. The next game is Friday against Fulton, I said. Are you travelling down Friday or Saturday? Widdison asked. It's a home fixture here at the stadium. Why, when you play away, do you travel a day before the match? Shannon asked. And I could tell he was asking out of interest and not because he's a copper. So there we are. I just oh, getting yeah, into a, a bit a of a football. There. Yeah, getting into a bit of a football chat now. We'll find out why they do travel the night before. One if Steve explains it all. We haven't found out where Lettersford Town play their games. He said at the ground. I wonder what the stadium. Maybe Steve no, didn't bother to, coming up well, with a name. And Fulton must be Fulton Wanderers, I presume. Like, you know, based on Bolton, oh, a, a bit of a Bolton thing. Yeah. But yeah, I love yeah. that. Otherwise, Steve says, and he, he roars to Chief Inspector of Detectives. What else would he be? No, Chief Inspector of Plumbers, <laughs> really. <laughs> Thanks. Very good. Very good stuff but it was good. from Steve. A great impression fun. by Dents. The little pauses and everything. He's yeah. just got it's it spot on, ex- isn't he? He mentioned the generation game there. And you were, earlier in the show, we were talking about this thing where people put up a photo of when I was 20. Yeah. You know, one of those online things. And Andy Smart did it. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, Andy Smart at 20 did have an incredible uh, look likeness to Bruce Forsyth. Did he really? So he, yeah, so he put it on Facebook, and I just put, nice to see you, to see you nice underneath. Did, I've not noticed that. I'll, I'll, I'll go and check it well, out. I've never noticed but, it before. But has he noticed photo, it before or, or he not? He was full of chin. I'm sure he'll come back to us listening. <laughs> I'm sure he's thanking you for this. He's going to join us for a new series next week. We'll keep our powder dry. Mm. We'll tell you uh, a bit more about that. Um, we heard uh, earlier on, didn't we, from Tyrone Mings. He's been up, he's on breakfast this week. The minute he, he he's bought a piano and he started he started trying to learn the piano in lockdown, yeah. <coughs> which is yeah. nice. But he, he's been kept busy by Dean Smith, because in lockdown, the Villa manager Dean Smith has watched all of Villa games back. Blimey, you think you've had a tough time in lockdown? <laughs> that must have been depressing. <laughs> he's watched every Villa game back in their entirety. Well, it's interesting. He said it's given me a bit of breathing space, an opportunity to reset. He said. And uh, imagine yes. that phone call comes in the comes in from the gaffer. You're Tyrone. You're sitting there playing the theme from Pop Black or the Entertainer <laughs> or whatever. And then the phone goes, and Tyrone's missus saying, "It's Dean again. He's just watched. He just watched the Arsenal game back. Seventeen minutes fifty. Can you go into? Basically, you turned a bit slowly. Yeah. Tell him I'm playing Pop Black. Tell him I'll call him back later. He must be driving the players mad. He's been having little, little sessions with them as well." Uh, tell me where it's where it's been going right and wrong, but uh, yeah, good stuff. Good I, I uh, well done, dear. I've heard from David Rose. He's a listener. He's enjoying the show. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, he's from a company called Palite, and he just wanted me to say that they're manufacturing. It's very cheap, an inexpensive paper desk. And you think, well, that's a bit balmy, but it's for people who are working from home and don't have desk space. So I thought, well, that's not a bad idea, really. Yeah. So well done to him. Very innovative. I don't think that's what they usually do. He said we're amongst a number of companies who've had to adapt what we do to try and find a market for stuff. So f- I thought, fair enough, give him a mention. And Sockley, uh, our puppet. So- oh, yeah, Sockley puppet. Park. Yeah, yeah. My- Sockley Park, my puppet, who uh, came to came with us to Cheltenham in his tweed suit. Uh, he took part in the uh, table tennis yesterday here at uh, Brilliant. our flat. And, okay. Uh, yeah, has it been filmed? Yeah, it's been filmed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He looked quite good, actually. Uh, Except, once again, it was me that ended the long rally. We've had five long rallies in this thing. We're trying to break our record each time. And it's four times it's me that's ended the rally. And the old Zen master who doesn't move only once. I can't work this out. But never mind. Oh, yes, we're about to break the record, and I put it into the net. That was really frustrating. But there we go. That's that's life here at Lockdown lockdown Towers. I was thinking... um, Maybe after, I think I'll put uh, a photo of myself age 20 up now. Yeah. Uh, maybe if you can do a, uh, a rally uh, with you and Sue, hitting uh, a 100, uh, 100 shot rally, we can raise 15 million pounds for the NHS. That would be fantastic, or possibly more. But uh, oh, yes. we need Not a 100 shot rally from you, Andy. If you think you think you two are capable of that. <laughs> I don't think so. That's what we're aiming for. Okay. Uh, it's all it's all down to me. She'll just sit there all day knocking them back to me. It's it's me. I've just got. Yeah, you're doing all the legwork. That's right. <laughs> She's I pinging am. them in the corners. <laughs> when this is all over, <laughs> we will get a game between Sue and Matthew Sy. Definitely. <laughs> Where's the... I'd enjoy that. Yeah, that would be good. Great. If Sue beat Matthew, it'd be tremendous. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unlikely. He was an Olympian, for goodness sake. I mean, let's not, let's not get true, silly. Yeah. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport.
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. In a few moments, we'll take you back to France 2016 when football was live and uh, a little road trip over there. I think it was day one in Nice, if I remember rightly, but we'll find out uh, very, very shortly. But before that, Andy, you were telling us yesterday of some amazing sporting facts you happened upon in the Daily Star. Yes, thanks to Paul Donnelly, who unearthed all of these. Uh, I only, only got to do one about Jules Leotard. But here's what we thought uh, the man who invented the Leotard, we thought that was some kind of bluff. But in fact, we looked him up and he was a, a, a trapeze artist who invented the Leotard. Yes, that's right. And uh, in the ancient Olympics, hmm. all the competitors were naked. Do you they know were that? what? Sorry? They were naked. Oh, OK. Right. Yes. Not great for Mike Ashley and Sports Direct. <laughs> No, probably not. No, have you got a replica shirt? Did he have one open probably. then during the first Olympics, the original? I doubt, I doubt, I doubt he, he did. I doubt if he had one shop. I never knew this. The timekeeper, when Roger Bannister ran the first sub-four-minute mile in May 1954, was Guinness Book of Records co-founder Norris McWhorter. I did Who know knew? that. Did you? Oh, I did know go. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, extensive Norris McWhorter knowledge there by you. Uh, the swimming front crawl was invented by an Englishman, John Trudgeon, in the 1870s. Not John Front Crawl then, John Trudgeon. Why didn't they call it the Trudgeon rather than the Front Crawl? <laughs> it's an word, the Trudgeon, trudgeon. isn't it? Un- yeah. A hundred metre Trudgeon. Doesn't sound great, does it? <laughs> well, I quite like it myself. And uh, there are, thir- oh, this one's mad. There are 39,916,800 mm. And 800 possible permutations for the batting order in an 11-man cricket team. How can there be, surely? I can't see how that works. Can you see how that works? No, no. It's not, I thought these were all so, Olympic. So these are just sporting facts no, or Olympic this facts? Is a, no, sporting facts. Oh, okay. Fair so enough. you basically got a cricket team and you, you go 1 to 11, or you could open with number 1 and number 11, or I suppose you could open with uh, 10 and 3. And yeah. anyway, if you had the ball for up, a ball? No, because they're thirty nine million nine hundred and sixteen thousand eight hundred possible permutations. So I thought if you, if you are, go make a cup of tea. But you're not you're not planning to. Okay, fair enough. Who's, who's going to be the night watchman? Yeah. that came in at th- yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would be a so, good yeah. idea. Is that it? That's and all fi- of them. No, fi- oh, and right. finally, and finally, uh, a lot of this I did know, but the final bit I didn't. So Adidas trainers were created by Adi Dassler. We knew that in Mum's yeah. kitchen. In 1924, big brother Rudolph joined the company. The brothers fell out, I knew that, in 1947. And Rudolph created Puma, which he originally called Ruder. I didn't know that. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Has anybody out there got a pair of Ruder trainers? I mean, did did he ever actually make anything? They would, wow, they would be sought after, wouldn't they? 
Oh, they'd be worth a lot, that's true. Yeah. So there you are. Thanks very much to Paul Donnelly for those interesting sporting facts. So, yeah, thank you very much to him. Uh, anyway, let's take you back to France, 2016. Andy and I were there for uh, the Euros. We are in Bordeaux for a few days, and then we uh, headed off to Nice. And uh, this is how the uh, start of the show unfolded back in 2016. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Ed. Uh, good afternoon, Paul. And uh, have you bottled your... You're going to do the Brucey opening. I'm fully oh, expecting did, yeah. it. Come nice on. to see you. To see you this. I should have done, really. <laughs> I thought you were going to do like, a big one and everybody was going to join in. Yeah, well, I don't know if they got it, really. Nice to see you. To see you. Nothing. No, no, that's nothing. Okay, well, they're Belgian do? and Swedish. I don't know if he's travelled that far, Bruce. He may be a bit of a British phenomenon. Yeah, so here we are. We're in Nice. It's beautiful, isn't yeah, it? What, what a, a place. What a we're, well, let's say we're in, uh, we're in the uh, La Plage Bar and Restaurant. It's, uh, it's on... Uh, on the front, isn't it? It's ba- we're basically well, on the beach. The sea, it'd be, yeah. if it was the back of the town. Yeah, it would something be, gone yeah. wrong. <laughs> but we are. High tide. If, if we walked uh, 15 yards forward, we'll be on the the beautiful stony beach. Yes. It's not, it's not a it's not a sandy beach, is it here? No, in it's a bit brightish. But um, and then, you, but you've been in. You've, what's the water like? You've been in it's already. It's beautiful. Then? I've never had a swim before the show before, and uh, I was lucky not to be harpooned on the way out. Actually, really, like Moby Dick. <laughs> you did a bit, I really do need to lose some weight. Greenpeace trying to get you back in the water <laughs> and all that sort of it's stuff. Not yeah, good, yeah. really. Uh, and of course, we breezed in last night. We had a couple of glasses of rosé on the on the beach. Well, apparently, that's what you've got to do here, Andy. I mean, I, I, I'm afraid I went route one and had a beer, but then I, I came round to your <laughs> yeah. ways because you've got to drink rosé in Nice. You tell me, so I joined in. And we had this mad conversation about you <laughs> saying that you, the kids these days, yeah, they, they, they drink a bottle of rosé before they go out. Yeah, the, the, the uh, uh, things have changed since our day, Andy. Really, whereas we would go out and maybe have a bit of a save up for a big night yeah. out. Um, what the kids do now is that they, they, they pre-drink because they don't want to spend the kind of money in the clubs and pubs. Our producer's kind of 30, but he remembers it from his uh, the university days, of uh, just kind of loading up on sort of rubbish booze. And it's, it's, it's quite... My, my son says to me, oh, yeah, I had a cheap bottle of rosé for when I went out. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> he couldn't get over it when I told him I used to drink a pint of milk before I yeah. went out to line the stomach. <laughs> and, his, and his pre-drinking was a pint of milk to line his stomach. That's and uh, you found uh, Match of the Day in your room, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, it was fantastic. TV. I was able to uh, get the uh, get the match of the day coverage last night. I didn't see them. I, I watched Kingsley Coman's uh, highlight show. Actually, uh, Sports Night with Coman. Oh, Flyman. <laughs> I um, got yeah, that one from the tripe we shop. We did. We, if you've town. seen the pictures, we went we went past a number of fine shops in the old town today, including a tripery. And Andy yeah. did pop in there and load up on some new gags this afternoon. So you'll, you'll hear them between now. Honestly, we had a very strange thing at the airport as well. The the boarding card kerfuffle. I'm calling it. Are you really? Well, it was very. I mean, the old days where you travelled, you basically. Or even recently, you printed out your own boarding pass. Yeah, you prefer the old ways. Yeah, and you showed you? it. Well, they gave you a yeah. piece of paper. But we live in a you p- don't like this virtual world, do <laughs> I don't. you? We, we live in a paperless society. Yeah. I think, but you said to me, <laughs> yeah. you said, we, we talked about the fact we live in a paperless society. And uh, you said, I feel sorry for Francis Lee. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, I think that was toilet paper. I don't think you can use virtual toilet paper. That, what well, a horrible honestly, thought that is. Between the two of you, though, I mean, it came up on my phone. It was fine. But you, you tried Bluetoothing it. You tried emailing it. You well, tried it's a car long story short. Didn't have any Wi-Fi in the airport without paying four grand for five minutes. We all know what it's like in airports or yeah. signing my life away for six months and being bombarded with garbage from an airport. Mm. So, uh, yeah, we had to find all the, the PDF I, wouldn't open in 3G because it was running slow. I couldn't so, understand why you didn't go through as a couple. We yeah. could have done. You kept saying, do an Elton and David. <laughs> go through. I said, well, I, I don't mind doing that. I haven't got a problem with that. I mean, you know. Could have just shown the boarding pass for you. But anyway, there we go. So it was all very nice. And uh, lovely. This hotel is much nicer than the Bordeaux Open Prison. Yeah, that's that right. Uh, I, I did feel sorry. I gave my job in the library to one of the new lags who came in. But this is this is nice. You love yeah, the towels well. in the old place. I did love the towels. In, the see-through gossamer towels. They were fantastic. When you just was, show them to your body and they were ringing wet. Yeah. Is, my room is so far from the lift there. It's like Club Wembley. It takes me 17 minutes to get to the lift. But I'm not complaining. After the show in Bordeaux, we wanted to see the uh, Northern Ireland-Germany game, didn't yep. we? So we went back to the open prison to watch the football. But they didn't have the channel. They didn't have it. They've got all these signs. Of, Welcome, supporters. Yeah. Welcome, They've Euro got footballs 96. hanging everywhere. Footballs hanging They've, They've got, got a goal, goal in reception. Yeah. And a mat with like a penalty area. Yeah. But they haven't got the games. No, because it's uh, you have to pay for it. So they decided that <laughs> well, well done. wasn't that, worth it. Well done, but the, if only the governor had had the D 
decency to pay you that little bit of money. Think of the morale. Think of the morale in Stalag 17 had they done that. Now, here in Nice, there are two big casinos, and uh, I'm sort of, I'm never really tempted because it's a very easy way to be parted from your money quite quickly. Yeah. But the other day, I was watching, you know these late night things that come on, the the roulette wheel, you see it. Oh, I thought you were going to say them. (laughs) No. Okay. (laughs) The roulette. French telly for you. (laughs) No, not here. Okay. Back home. And we were sitting there watching it, and we were just about to go to bed. So I said to the wife, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take my, I wasn't going to do it, but I said, hypothetically, I'm taking my month's salary. And I'm going to put it on either red or black. On the telly. Uh, on ITV's uh, yeah, late night yeah. show. I said either we're yeah, not... That's, yeah, we're either, responsibly, kids, <laughs> you're listening. Well, I didn't actually do it. It was <laughs> just for fun. I said either we're eating nothing, we're doing nothing for a month, or we're, or we're really... Champagne you know, all the champagne way. Champagne and roses that's, all the way. no way to do it. Gerald Harper once said. Yeah. And uh, basically, uh, I would have won. So there you go. It did come up, put it on black, and it came up on black. Yeah. I don't recommend it. So honestly, <laughs> even though I put no... <laughs> I don't recommend it. Even Andy put... Jacobs will be here talking about his new book. Put your house on red uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning on ITV. <laughs> I mean, most really, I think it's, it's looking for a market where drink has been taken, let's be honest. There's you stone is. cold sober contemplating the same thing. <laughs> but it's odd, because even though I didn't actually have real money on it, I felt quite tense, and, you know, it wouldn't be a good thing to do, so I don't... I don't Your life's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so there we are. <laughs> what was that got to do with the European Championships? I don't yeah. know. I digress. absolutely no idea. <laughs> no. Um, Danny McLean's been in touch, Andy. He said, the combination of different batsmen is worked out as 11 times 10 times 9 times 8 times 7 times 6 times 5 times 4 times 3 times 2 times 1, which equals 39,916,800 permutations. So there we are. Thank you for doing okay. the maths there, there Danny. Go. So that one's sorted out for you. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Hawksby and Jacobs here on Talk Sport. Well, it's time for our sporting memory session this week. And we're going back to 1982, the World Cup in Spain. And a memorable quarterfinal. In a few moments' time, we'll chat to Motti. He says in his fine book, World Cup Motti, it's the best game he ever saw. He'll be telling us more about that. Before we hear some of his commentary from that day, um, the great thing, Andy... Uh, about Italy and Brazil. When you know, that you, they're two of the anthems where you know that there's a World Cup on. It's that kind of, the yeah, first time Italy and Brazil true. play in the World Cup and we see the lineup. you just, you, you get a big beaming smile because they're iconic anthems. So we thought we'd kick off with the anthems from that day in Barcelona. <laughs> Fantastic. There we are. A bit oh, of a yeah. flavour of the old anthems. Get your well, can see all the Brazilian players walking out, holding the, the kids' hands or holding each other's hands as they walk out onto the pitch. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, uh, let's take you back to that fantastic quarterfinal. Give you a flavour of it. I'm sure most of you remember it, certainly from all your texts and emails you do. Uh, but this is Motti's commentary, uh, accompanied by one of the hits of the day. Forward to Zika. Oh, what a turn. He threw Gentile. Socrates is in here. It's, oh, it's there. Socrates has put Brazil level. There is no. Oh, Rossi. And Rossi's in again. 2 1. Paolo Rossi. Still Falcao out. Still Falcao. What is right? It's there. 2 2. Bagomi is up there. Shot by Tardelli. And it's been turned in. Paolo Rossi was there again. Here we are. What an amazing game of football. Uh, 3-2 to Italy, toing and throwing. It was Motti's first World Cup as a commentator. And we're very mm. pleased to say he joins us now. Good afternoon, John. Hello, Paul. Um, yeah, I, I would just like to put a couple of things in perspective, Paul, because before before we discuss the, the, the implications of the game, I must tell you, it wasn't a quarterfinal because the World Cup had been played in two separate groups in 1982, as I'm sure 
uh, Tim Vickery will confirm. And what had happened was, in, in their first groups, Italy had played poorly and drawn with Poland, Peru and Cameroon. Mm. Rossi was back after a, a match-fixing ban, by the way. And Brazil, they soared through against the USSR, Scotland and New Zealand. They then went into a second group with Argentina. Ah. Now, in this situation, ah. Italy beat Argentina 2-1 and Brazil beat Argentina 3-1. Uh, Maradona, by the way, sent off there. But that doesn't come into it, really, because what it meant was when Italy uh, played Brazil in the game that you've just played, um, in the last match of the group, because Brazil had a better goal difference than Italy, Brazil only needed a draw to get to the semi-finals, which would be actual knockout yeah, semi-finals. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the whole point of the game was when it got to 2-2, uh, as you said, uh, there, Falcao equalised, uh, Brazil could have just sat back and waited and gone to the semi-final, but being Brazil, they continued to attack. I remember yeah. the two fullbacks, Leandro and Junior, were steaming down the touchlines mm. because Brazil believed, and Tim may confirm this, that they had the best team since 1970 and were odds. They felt they were favourites to win the competition. But of course, Paolo Rossi—they called it Rossi's Renaissance. Uh, a couple of my friends that day. Um, he came from nowhere, scored that hat-trick. And I always remember two things at the end of the game. Um, Brazil had a corner and Oscar had a header, which Dino Zoff saved literally on the line. The whistle went for time. Brazilians were coming off the pitch crying. And somebody in London said in my ear, now hand back for the news. And I thought, well, this is the news. That's right. You know, we're going to play that, John. We found that. We found your sum up. And going right. back to David Coleman, and let's let's bring that to uh, to. He had a great line, Dave, of the back of it. Have a listen to this. When the Brazilians were shown to be beatable, and it was the Italians who put the sadness on those faces. Rossi, I said at the beginning, was having to sing for his supper. He can have the champagne now as well, because his three goals have given Italy a three-two win and a place in the semi-final. One of classic World Cup matches in recent years, and you'll be able to see the highlights again in World Cup Report at 7 o'clock. A really marvellous match. If you've got people on the way home from work, don't tell them the result. It's well worth watching as if it was live. <laughs> don't tell them. <laughs> Lovely line there, well, uh, the singing for the supper and the champagne. John, was that, was that one in the bank or off top of your head? <laughs> well, it was, actually, completely. But, but I turned to my co-commentator, um, who was Bobby Charlton that day, and he was actually crying wow. with the emotion of having watched the game. That, that's, that's what a fantastic occasion it was. And, um, well, I, I've said it before. I mean, it was the best match I ever commentated on. And, of course, it had so many implications, didn't it, with Brazil going out and Italy and Rossi going on to win the World Cup in the final against Germany. Yeah. In, in that final, was, this, was that the goal? I know there's a goal by Tardelli that you particularly love. Actually, I think you yeah, were it was that one. Yeah, yeah. Where he, was... yeah, where he runs, runs to the camera. It's a famous yeah. image, isn't it? You knew you had that final as well, John, when you knew you were going to be doing the final, didn't you? Well, yes, it was the first World Cup final I'd actually done. I'd been to a couple of World Cups before. But, um, yes, it was an iconic moment when Tardelli put the final beyond the Germans. I mean, he just, as you said, Andy, he turned around and he came screaming towards the camera with his eyes bulging. It was, it was uh, one of those things that sticks in your mind. Yeah. And interesting enough, John, there was a piece uh, in The Guardian recently by Barney Roney talking about this game it being his favourite game. And he talks about you and he says, uh, Motson on Brazil was always brilliant. He was there at all the big World Cup moments. Each time you felt he really did love Brazilian football and uh, presumably you'd back that up. Well, yes. I mean, I, I, as a boy at school, I think I'd watch them. Uh, I'd watch them win the World Cup for the first time in '58. Uh, that's when Pele arrived on the scene, of course, in Sweden. Then they then they went to Chile and they won the tournament in '62. Pele was kicked out of it a bit in '66 in England. You may remember that too. And then, of course, the 1970 team, the team of Pele, um, Jairzinho, uh, and Tostao, they 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 lit football up completely. I mean, that was probably the best match a lot of people saw was when they beat, um, when they won 4-1 in the final uh, um, in um, Mexico against Italy, funnily enough, then. So uh, maybe Italy were, were due to get a bit of revenge in 82. 
Fantastic. Yeah. So uh, happy memories for you, John, of, of that World Cup. Well, and the stadium, you felt the fact it was, wasn't was at the new Camp. It was at Espanyol's old ground, which was quite compact. You felt that yes. added to the atmosphere that day. I, di- I did, Paul, very much. It was, the yes, the Saria Stadium, which I think is now a car park. I mean, people in Spain will confirm that. But it certainly isn't a football ground anymore. It was almost like watching the World Cup at West Ham, to be honest. The crowd was so close to the pitch. And, of course, the Brazilian supporters, particularly a huge splash of colour at their end and eventually of course the celebrations took place at the other end and uh, we heard David Coleman there uh, John and uh, I've uh, David Coleman was undoubtedly a brilliant brilliant presenter but I've heard stuff off-air stuff that when I used to do fantasy football I'd hear all the sort of the complete recording and he, he could tear people off a strip couldn't he if he didn't like what was happening there's one well, particular he could and he did. Yeah. <laughs> yes he could and he did Andy you're absolutely right although I have to say broadcasting in those days was shall we say a little less gentle than it is today I mean the atmosphere in the BBC camp was pretty hostile at times because people were so determined Uh, to get the show on the air. And, of course, a lot of the technology was fairly new. um, And there were all sorts of uh, fallouts and explosions behind the scenes. But um, all in the interest, by the way, of trying to get the game on the air and and get the message across. And uh, 82 certainly was one where people will, as Paul's already said, people listening today will have their memories of that game and that tournament. And it's quite fresh because uh, I think Steve has reminded us um, it was on the, the Beebs World Cup Rewind last week. And uh, he said a great game of attack versus defence. And uh, well, he loved your commentary. So it's fresh in people's minds. I think a lot of people would have watched it last week. Maybe some cases for the first time, John. Well, yes, possibly. Well, when you, <laughs> when you think how long ago it was, of course, some people who are listeners on, to our programme, they weren't even been born then. But, I mean, yeah. it, it is a match that will stand alone in a way in terms of World Cup memories because it was so dramatic and uh, had this unpredictable edge to it where nobody could understand why Brazil didn't just sit back and, and play for the draw and go through. But that's Brazil for you, isn't it? Indeed. Okay. Yeah, good. Brilliant. Good to talk to you, Motti. We'll catch up with you next week. Thanks for joining us. Have a good Paul, weekend. Paul, can I just send yes. my condolences to the family of Norman Hunter? By the way. Of course, John. Course. Yeah, you would have commentated on Norman many times well, and probably got to know him. Well, it's funny you should say that because in my first season at Match of the Day, I covered the FA Cup semi-final between Leeds and Birmingham. Mm. Leeds won three nil. And my producer said, right, straight down to the Leeds dressing room and get an interview with Don Reevy. And, of course, in those days, uh, dressing rooms were a bit easier to access then than now, and they'd won. So Reevy took me into the Leeds dressing room. And while he was getting ready to do the interview, he sat me next to Norman Hunter. And I wow. thought, I can't believe this. I'm, I'm sitting next to a famous footballer yeah. who's just reached the FA Cup final. And then they all burst into song. And <laughs> they, the players started to sing Marching On Together, which, of course, wow. is still the Leeds anthem. Well, wow. it is. A brilliant. Lovely story, John. Thanks very much for joining us. All Thanks, the best. John. Thank you. See you, boys. John yeah, Motson there. We'll get some of your memories very, very shortly. <clears throat> Just to remind you, this uh, statement that have just come from the Premier League after their meeting today. We're acutely aware of the distress COVID-19 is causing and our thoughts are with all those directly affected by the pandemic. Our aim is to ensure we're in a position to resume playing when it's safe to do so and with the full support of the government. The health and well-being of players, coaches, managers, club staff and supporters are our priority and the league will only restart when medical guidance allows. It remains our objective to complete the 2019-20 season, but at this stage all dates are tentative while the impact of COVID-19 develops. So no hard and fast dates end from the Premier League meeting today. We'll get some of your memories of that game back in 82 and hear from Tim Vickery very shortly. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. Hawksby and Jacobs here on TalkSport. Our sporting memory session this afternoon is on the uh, 82 World Cup. The fantastic game between Italy versus uh, Brazil. We're going to hear from Tim Vickery shortly. We've got some of your memories. Uh, Jeff has been in touch. He said, I was playing tennis in the garden with my brother. I was only 10. I whacked the ball well too long and it smashed against the window. My dad screamed, get in here now. Fortunately, Brazil-Italy was on. So me and my brother had the last laugh. Uh, Uh, also, this one from uh, Daryl, who says, um, I remember that game I was driving at the time and I was so engrossed in the match, I failed to notice the car ahead of me, stopped at a roundabout and sadly uh, clipped the back of it. 
So that cost oh. him a few quid on the insurance. Um, <laughs> this comes from overwhelming disappointment, says uh, Kolsnick. He says, uh, I was only 11 years old and I felt sad for the first time watching football. My first real World Cup and uh, still remains my favourite. Uh, Andy Smart, our old friend, uh, was in Lords. It's in his book, A Hitch in Time. He was in Lords, in, well, not Lords, uh, the one in France. Lourdes. That's where he watched the game uh, all unfold. Um, what else have we got there? Uh, there? There was a really interesting one uh, from one of the listeners, if only I can find it. Uh, his memory of the match is the dust, uh, the chalk dust coming up when um, Socrates scored that goal, the little one-two was Eco. Oh, it's a lovely Socrates goal, scored the goal. Yeah, it's yeah. funny, the little little things that you remember from a game of football, if only I could find his name. Apologies. You know who you are. I'm just ploughing through lots of these <laughs> on a screen at the moment. Um, lots of people saying gutted for Zico. It was the day, of course, you know, Zico said it was the day that football died and all that. So let's hear yeah. a bit of the Italian commentary when, um, when um, Rossi scored the winner. Dalla bandierina Conti. There we go. It was Jonathan. Uh, who, yeah, who, who, sorry, Andy. It was, it was Gianni Mozzoni, the commentator. I know. Oh, that. oh right. Okay. Very nice. <laughs> of course it was. Well done. Yeah, be going there. Uh, Jonathan Turner was the one who was chalk dust memory. Anyway. <laughs> uh, it was a big, it was a big do for Brazil, you know, um, and of course there was a lot of soul searching afterwards. Uh, Tim Vickery has, has written and broadcast extensively about that World Cup, uh, our man on um, Brazilian football, and uh, he's currently on Brazilian TV as we speak. So we couldn't do this live, uh, but we did catch up uh, with Tim uh, a little bit earlier on, and uh, he said that the people of Brazil still look back on that World Cup uh, with fond memories. An unbelievable game that the whole of Brazil sat down to watch last week to uh, to remind itself of what a great side the 82 uh, team were. But Italy really rose to the occasion. Magnificent game of football. Unforgettable for any of us. It, it's one of those things that uh, people of our age, gentlemen, can brag about. We were old enough to see this game. Yes, yeah, Of course, so unlike the, unlike the 7-1 uh, in Brazil or, or 1950, it's not a kind of a game of national trauma. People can sit down and watch this despite the result in Brazil and still enjoy it. Yeah, although it is always referred to as the tragedy. Um, they're very, very happy that that stadium got uh, got uh, hauled to the ground a few years later, you know, because uh, the stadium, uh, they played the group games in, in Seville, in Seville, which was, uh, you know, a privilege to watch. And I've got a book from an Argentine coach, uh, and he says he was there in Sevilla watching those games and he just wanted the clock to stop. You know, please, please, can this go on forever and ever and ever? It's so good. We're all enjoying it so much. But, you know, the Italy game and the tragedy of it really is is is, is the consequences. And the beauty of it is the game itself. The tragedy is is, is the consequences, especially for, for, for Brazil. Because uh, if, and if you look at that team, and Graham Soonis the other day was uh, he was asked to name uh, 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 to make a team of his eleven best opponents that he's faced during his career, and he just picked the entire 1982 Brazil team. It's probably a questionable <laughs> choice in, in 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 one or two positions. Um, that that, that yes. they were that, that the fullbacks want to be midfielders, and that's where Italy get them. You know, it, it, it's something that they, it was a weakness that was apparent all the way through. And if you look at the Scotland game, which was the second game that Brazil played. Jock Steen, who was Scotland's coach, he'd seen them. So, uh, and he, he really tried to get at them behind the, the fullbacks. And he, he played John Walk wide, you know, be, trying to get behind Junior, the, the, the left back. And John Walk was, was, a, was a central midfielder, wasn't he? Ghosting into the box. But he played him wide and it, that, that helped them get the first goal. They, they, they took the lead, which was probably a mistake because it made the Brazilians angry. Uh, and in the end, they got steamrolled in the, in the heat of Sevilla. They got steamrolled 4-1 in the second half. But that weakness behind the centre-backs was apparent, and Italy used it really, really well. Their, 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 their game plan was always to switch the ball from one flank deep behind the other, and it, uh, it, it caused a lot of problems to, uh, to the, the, the Brazil defence. The goalkeeper wasn't great, so you got one or two problems there, and you get the problem of, of the, the, the centre-forward, uh, the big blunderbuss Serginho up front. Now, the young Carriaca would probably have been centre-forward. Um, he, he went on to play... The, uh, um, the the next World Cup, 
in 86 and, and 90 as well and was a, a truly great player. Uh, and I think he would have done much better. And big Sergio was a, a target man centre forward, two wingers and lots of service for him to attack, attack front to goal. Great. But you put him with this extremely technical midfield that, you know, are looking to him for little one-twos and so on, and he's just not refined enough for it. So there are defensive problems and there are problems up front, but boy, what a midfield. And that midfield really makes the ball talk. Uh, it's, um, I did a documentary on, on, on 82 a few years ago. I had the opportunity to sit down and interview most of the players. Uh, and, and one of the things that they really emphasised was, you know, there wasn't a lot of dribbling going on unless you're in the last 30 yards of the field. Um, you, you, you keep the ball moving with, with, with passes, pass, 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 pass. Uh, and, uh, and so many of them said, you know, what a joy it was to play in that team. I remember Edda, the left winger, you know, who scored that fantastic, he scored yeah, some fantastic him. goals in, 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 in that, 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 that competition. I remember him saying, you know, there are times during that tournament when I just, I just wanted to, to, to just, just sit and watch and think, you know, blimey, this is really, really, really <laughs> cool. So uh, I, I think the, the big lesson that comes out of this and, and talking to, the, to, to those guys from 82, they still get loads of fan mail from it, you know, and this is a team that didn't even reach the semi-finals. Uh, and, mm. and the big lesson for this is it ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it. I and mean, some people say in football, no one ever remembers who, who came second. It really isn't true because th- th- this Brazil team didn't even come in the top four, but it's still remembered all over the globe. I was going to say to you there, Tim, is there a debate in Brazil about the 70 team? Everybody names that as the greatest team of all time, the 70 team. But I would imagine there are people who sort of advocate that the 82 team was better. It, it's uh, it's still a, a controversy in, in Brazilian football because and what happened afterwards, they toughened up. Um, one of the conclusions that they reached was that uh, you couldn't win in modern football because of the physical development of the game. You couldn't win anymore working your, tri- your triangles in, in midfield. So they toughened up. Um, that, that, they, uh, that, uh, that they went very, very counter-attack uh, and that they would uh, try and secure the midfield. And this is really where Gilberto Silva comes in. Because you, know, you could not imagine Gilberto Silva in that 82 side. He just wasn't good enough passing the ball. They didn't have a specialist holding midfielder. That that, that, that team didn't didn't have one. Um, so uh, you know, the, and Gilberto Silva started his career as a centre back and ended it as a centre back and ended up playing nearly 100 times for Brazil in the, in the central midfield position uh, and and hardly played a, a penetrating pass in all of that time. He, he wasn't there for that. He was there. He was there to block the game. Um, so they blocked the game through the centre and, and, and went on the counter-attack. Uh, and uh, even the, the cups that they've won since then, it's been nowhere near as attractive as 82. So it, that, that team has, has always been the, the subject of debate. I mean, Dunga, who came along in the next generation, played the World Cups of, uh, of 1994 and 98, was the, the coach in, uh, in in 2010 and the coach after the, the debacle in 2014, Dunga, he, he refers to that, that 82 side as specialists in losing. Now, they never won anything. What's the point Whoa. of them? Um, oh, my yeah, goodness, from him. Vicious, that's fantastic, vicious right isn't it? Hand. Yeah, oh, but the, the, the current coach, Chichi, he holds up 82 as an example of, of what he wants. Um, and I think in, in recent times, perhaps, there's been a resurgence of love for 82, in part because of what Guardiola did with Barcelona and, 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 and afterwards. Because uh, Brazilian football, it, 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 it had got obsessed with this in, the, in the, the wake of the failure of 82. It got obsessed with this thing of the physical, the physical development of the game and, 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 uh, uh, and you can't win playing this old-style this old pa- passing football and your central midfielders, they've, they've got to be six foot at least in order to win the physical battles. And then along came Guardiola with Xavi and Iniesta and showed it just wasn't true. So uh, following on the coattails of that, I think that that's led to a, re-appreci- a reappreciation of, of the beauty of, of, of 82. Although some people will say that they didn't really beat anyone. And the first game was the Soviet Union, uh, and they weren't at full strength for that game. Cerezo, who was a vital midfielder, didn't play. They won that one 2-1, but, uh, well, the Soviets could have had a couple of penalties. There's one absolutely stonewall penalty that they didn't get. <laughs> then they beat Scotland, and it's not appreciated here how good Scotland were, how good that Scotland side were. You know, the fact that most of the, the best players in English football at the time were Scottish. So they don't get enough credit for that. And then it was New Zealand who were there for the taking. Um, and then it was Argentina, which was a terrific 
game. It's a great game. And then a defeat to Italy. So the, 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 there, there is a line in, over here that says, you know, they, they, were, they, they were nice to, to, to look at, but they didn't really beat anyone, which I think is very, very harsh. It, it's really harsh. And the, the, the Scotland side weren't bad at all, you know. And, uh, and, uh, and, and Argentina were reigning world champions who were, who, were, who were striving to stay in the competition. And that's a great game. Um, and Argentina played a, played a full part in that game as well. And time traveling to, to 82 to watch these games is, is, such, a, is such a wonderful thing because uh, those, it re- really was a time when the World Cup was, a, was the pinnacle of football and the whole planet stopped for the World Cup and it was the best football you were ever going to see. Uh, and uh, and the, the Brazil 82 side, are, uh, are, I love them. You know, it, it, it doesn't bother me that, 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 uh, that they lost. I just love the spectacle that they put on. Great stuff there from Tim Vickery. Join us a little bit uh, earlier on. And just to uh, wrap things up, Maurizio says, I ran home from uh, school to watch that game. So disappointed to see Brazil go out. And he said, and then, of course, what a World Cup that was. To think we had France, Germany still to come in the semi-final. Another classic. And you can make oh, a case a classic for it game. being one. Of, it mm. wasn't from an England point of view, but it was a great, great World Cup with some brilliant matches. So thanks uh, for all your memories uh, this afternoon. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. Good afternoon, Martin. Good afternoon to you, boys. So, uh, what have you been watching this week, Martin? Give us a flavour. Well, all sorts of stuff. Um, uh, where do you want me to start? Would you like to start with football going <laughs> vegan? Jermaine uh, yeah. Genus meets nutritionist Rhiannon Lambert. Do you want that's to start where, with that? that? Don't, oh, I can't yes, think of any better place to start <laughs> than that. <laughs> Well, I didn't watch much of it, to be honest. Oh, OK. Um, yeah. However, yeah, however, uh, I taped it. I taped it. I fully meant to, to watch it. And I just dropped off in the first few seconds that he was talking to this uh, nutritionist. Oh, OK. Um, what a however, great recommendation. However, yeah. <laughs> Five yes, stars, well, Martin Kellner. <laughs> absolutely. But I did want to say that Jermaine Jenis was in one of the one of the better programmes of the week. I'm not a huge fan of, um, of, of sort of recycling match of the day clips and then just talking about them. And this thing that they're doing where they pick the top 10 strikers, the top right. 10 midfielders. Mm. Uh, this week they were doing the top 10 managers. But they do a thing called match of their day. And yeah, I don't know mm, where like he it. gets one of the regular yeah, I liked it a lot. It was mm. The one with Jermaine Jenis, I thought was brilliant. Probably a match that you watched, um, Paul. Arsenal Spurs, two thousand yes, and eight. Yes, yeah. Even match for for all, and oh. then got the equaliser. Absolutely. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, it was a great match, obviously. So it was good to see the you know the footage again. But there were all sorts of well, you know in the interviews you get immediately after the match, you don't get a whole lot of insight. Obviously, you don't because they've just you know they've just come off the pitch. But to get a player, you know, 10 years later or, or who actually played in the match, mm. you do get a certain amount of in, uh, insight. And he was talking about uh, Clive Allen, who apparently had been watching uh, Almunia. Um, and he told the players, you know, Almunia is always off his line. You know, you yeah. could try and catch him like that. And uh, Jermaine said, well, the players thought, yeah, whatever, as players do. Um, but David Bentley actually gave it a try. And we know the result if you, you know, you would. It's a ridiculous uh, goal, just, isn't it? Just ridiculous goal. A ridiculous though. goal. Ridiculous yeah. goal. But he said, you know, David Bentley was, was, was the sort of guy that would do that. Yeah. Um, and he, he was also asked about uh, Gareth Bale. Now, you couldn't ask him after the match, how good do you think Gareth Bale is? But, you know, he said, you know, that first season when Gareth Bale was there, nobody thought he was... And I'm sure you didn't either. No. Thought he was going to be quite the star that he became. Whereas uh, Luka Modric, he says, you know, you knew from minute one that yeah. there was a special player there. Um, so it was the sort of stuff that people wouldn't say contemporarily. But 10 years later, they probably would. And, you know, he had a word for one day Ramos as well, who he was... Uh, a big admirer, well, a sort of admirer of, hmm. um, and thought he was a bit unlucky to get the sack and all that, and all sorts of things that you, you wouldn't actually hear. And what I liked particularly about it was um, because, obviously, he's no longer playing, he's pundit now, um, Gary Lineker was able to ask him how he looked back on his own career. And uh, he hmm. admitted to having regrets. He said, I definitely didn't achieve what I set out to achieve. I think having gone off to, and this happens to so many young players, he said, I think having got off to such a great start, um, there was definitely something something inside me that thought it was going to always be like that. You yeah. know? Uh, and I, I honestly think there was something left inside me as far as the career goes, a thirst not quite quenched, which I thought was, was quite good. You know, a lot of me said I thought I cracked it in the first couple of years, yeah. but clearly not. And I thought uh, it was quite frank 
for even for even for an ex-footballer um and of course gary lineker being the top bloke that he is said well of course you had a tremendous career um jermaine and we all question ourselves a little bit which you know which is true isn't it i mean at the end mm. of the day whatever mm. you've achieved unless you've got right to the very top there will be questions unanswered inside you, I think. It yeah, yeah, good. true. Yeah, we're very serious, Martin. Well, I did a bit of an epiphany for you there. And I, I think just want to lighten right. it up a bit. OK, go on. OK, I was going to say, I think he sums up what a lot of Tottenham fans, maybe Newcastle fans as well, everybody was saying he was going to be the next England captain and he should yeah. have been the England captain and he wasn't. So, you know, a bit of, bit of self-criticism there. Anyway, Andy, what do you want to do to lighten yeah. it up a bit? Well, just because I think, uh, I, because I've got this thing there, Martin, I that can, I like to... I can to, lighten it. I'll oh, go on. Go on, Andy. You well, I was going to say very, very, very briefly, further. very briefly, that uh, because I'm watching a bit of sport each night, at least an hour, just to sort of have some sort of routine in my life. Yeah. But the grimmest uh, moment for me this week was watching the, I thought, why am I watching this? It was the Australia versus Pakistan 1981 World Series match 13. I thought, what am Blimey. I watching this for? I started fast forwarding to see if Australia were losing. But uh, they didn't, <laughs> so then I just turned it off. Oh, oh okay. There you go. Well, let me lighten it up with a, uh, with a mention of the great Howard Cassell. Now, yeah. Howard Cassell had this bizarre way. I mean, people will be familiar with him, if from nothing else, from the Woody Allen film Bananas, where he commented, yeah. on, uh, he commented on Woody Allen's uh, wedding night and yeah. all that. Um, well, I was watching the documentary, <laughs> a 30 for 30, uh, No Mass, which means no more, obviously, in Spanish. It was about the, uh, the 1980 fight uh, between Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran. Yeah. Um, unbelievable fight. Where uh, in the eighth round, in the eighth round, allegedly, Roberto Duran says, no mas, no more. I can't mm. take any more. And the, and the fight, and nobody knew why particularly mm. it ended at that point, although um, he, was, uh, he was ahead uh, on points, I think, Sugar Ray. Uh, at that point, but it's a great documentary because Sugar Ray yes. goes back to um, to meet Roberto Duran, who was a you know Panamanian street fighter. Really, um, the press conference is very interesting. It's one of the few press conferences where the promoters were actually telling them to uh, hold back a bit, not to you know, <laughs> just, just cool it with the hostility. Um, he, Sugar Ray Leonard said, "Yeah, um, Roberto Duran gave me the finger, and he called my wife a whore." No, so I thought, well, there's, uh, there's, there's fighting talk. There. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think that's fair to say. It is fighting well, talk, yeah. Yes. It is. I've seen that one. It's an yeah. absolutely brilliant. They all are. I don't it's, think I've ever watched great, one, Martin, that I've not enjoyed it. This week yeah. I watched The Prince of Pennsylvania, which if you've seen the film Foxcatcher, is the true oh, story yeah. of that. It's a brilliant that's a tr I've seen that documentary as well. It's fantastic. But it's just the way Howard Cassell, um, what's his name, Roberto Duran, suggested afterwards that it was actually Howard Cassell that invented this no mass, no more, that he never actually said it. And, you know, very few commentators. I mean, a few of them have phrases like, you know, they think it's all over, it is now, etc., which will go down in history. But yeah. very few commentators have ever been accused of actually sort of settling a fight or having <laughs> a major part to play. In the, but Howard Cassell had this strange way of talking. It was just unbelievable. Sugar, Ray... Leonard, yeah. will the fight live up to the anticipation? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, if, you, if you've never seen Howard Cassell, go on to YouTube. It's just uh, certainly the scene from Bananas uh, is brilliant as well. But he was always, I mean, he was always in there with the microphone. He was always the first one in there. And I think, you know, if, if you're interested in the history of boxing, you know, mm. he, he was there all the time. He's Woody, part of Woody, Woody Allen had a thing about uh, Howard Cassell because he pops up again in Sleeper, don't you remember? Because the, the scientist sits him down. He said, we found this old footage. We don't know what it is. And it was just <laughs> yes. Howard Cassell introducing a, a TV show. <laughs> he said, we think from watching this, uh, if you broke the law and you were in jail and you'd been punished, you'd be made to watch this. And Woody says, yes, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that scene. I've forgotten yeah. that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Is it time for a quick one? Quick one, Martin, yeah. Squeeze yeah, quick okay. one in. Um, okay, Bobby, 
Uh, Bobby, it's a brilliant documentary. I've only watched it three times, but it's up oh, there yeah. on Netflix, worth watching again. It's the brilliant documentary. Uh, it's Matthew Lorenzo's film uh, about Bobby oh, Moore. Uh, yeah, it is fantastic. And it, it's, uh, there's a lot of Jeff Powell in it. And it's got the people who were there, the people who were there. And it's just a fantastic story uh, about a great player. So if, if you've never watched it, especially if you're a West Ham fan, uh, Bobby, uh, well worth uh, watching. It even includes Ray Davis of the Kinks yeah. in it as well. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Martin, you back yeah. overnight? To yes, I am. I am. Yeah, I should be sitting in the same seat in the back room, um, broadcasting to the world from Wakefield. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so that's one till five, talk radio. It to, is. Early hours of tomorrow and Sunday as well. Yeah. Marvellous. Thanks, Martin. We'll catch up with you next week. Cheers, All the best. Boys. Cheers, There boys. we are, Martin Kellner there with a the week of sport on TV. There are. There are the, I mean, we've got the time now, in most cases, to watch these brilliant sports documentaries. Oh, they're uh, wonderful. I watched the one that Andy recommended, uh, James Buster Douglas, uh, talking about the fight. That's a lovely film, a lovely hour documentary, absolutely brilliant, about his fight with Mike Tyson. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. There we are. That's uh, this afternoon's show. We're back on Monday at 1. Keep safe this weekend. Look after yourselves. Um, and as promised, uh, there was a little story that Tim, when we'd finished, because it was, a, as you heard, it was a pre-record with Tim, because he was on Brazilian TV at the time. Uh, he said, you know, I've got another little story, a memory of that World Cup, if you'd like it. And we didn't have time to play it out. So here it is, uh, podcast listeners, just for you, an extra little memory from Tim Vickery from uh, the 82 Brazil side. Have a great weekend. This documentary that I did, uh, it was six years ago um, that uh, I had the opportunity to sit down and, and, and interview those players. And the first one we did was was, was Air Dare. Uh, and uh, so we're flying to, to Belo Horizonte to do it. It's his city. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's my first day working with this this team. We don't really know each other. We've got to get, get to know each other that day. Uh, and uh, on the, the little flight to Bellows, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling too clever. You know, I'm really not feeling well at, at all. And then, you know, under the you set up all the lights. It's a complicated process. It takes ages to set up the lights. And under the lights of the interview, I am not feeling well at all. I'm just slumping deeper and deeper and deeper in my seat. And then there comes a time when, uh, oh, sorry, Mr. I'm gonna, luckily, we were doing this in an office and there's a sink behind us. I've got to go oh, and have God. a throw up. You know, and a oh, massive no. huge there and throw up. You know, and Ed is looking around thinking, well, what's going on here? You know, I've, hit him from, I've hit him from an angle that Italy 82 never got him from. You know, there was never any of that. You, you, you feel a bit better after throwing up. You go on and, and, and finish off the interview. So that, that that's one of my happy memories from, from doing the documentary. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 